Repiloting can be intense. New people show up, regular shift roles, or even fall away. Season 9 of Scrubs, Zach Braff was only in the first six episodes. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And, uh, huh. I had kind of mixed feelings on this episode. Yeah, I mean... It's a Rumbell episode, which I thought we were done with. It's theoretically the final Rumbell episode. I would think so, but but here we are. It's also not a great portrayal of mental health. I see, I don't know. It's right, it's right, it's not fair to say that because she doesn't actually have an issue. She's a fairy tale character who's been cursed to live in the real world and actually knows it. Yeah, everyone's treating her like it's season two of Buffy and she's Drusilla, but she's really just someone who has two sets of memories that are fighting each other for dominance. We should clarify that she is Alice, not Belle. Yes, she is Alice, not Belle. And also it ties into a lot of tropes that are generally associated in the media with people who have mental health problems and i mean it's alice so of course right off the bat you're not exactly dealing with a nuanced portrayal of mental health issues i'm interested that you said she's got two sets of memories fighting each other which of course was jefferson or the mad hatter's issue there is a lot of jefferson here but we don't know that that's her issue you're just assuming that because she acts the way jefferson acted well, she does reference having memories from a different world. Like, she talks about her other set of memories, her real personality. Okay, I was thinking she only remembered the other world. I don't know. I mean, it's possible. I thought she was more awake than Jefferson was. She does have a Hyperion Heights personality. I'm not going to say, actually... I said personality. She has a Hyperion Heights persona. Yes. I, I don't know how much of her actual personality is in there, if there is actually another persona in her head. I think that there is because it does seem more like her two personae are at odds, which is not really something we've seen before with a curse character. And a this isn't really something we've seen with anyone going through the curse before. Other than Belle and Lacey. Except Belle and Lacey never had to exist at the same time. True, true. Well, we should get into it, and I just want to say, Alice here weirdly seems to have the personality traits of every single Wonderland character, so we'll be calling that out as it happens. Yeah, they they do go to a lot of Wonderland places. A little weird, honestly. Eh, She is everyone she's ever met. Apparently. Aren't we all, though? This episode is episode four of season seven, Beauty, and it opens in Storybrooke. It opens at Gideon's first birthday party. Yeah, Rumple is taking pictures with his Polaroid camera of Belle and baby Gideon as they get ready to celebrate his birthday party. We're not paying anyone extra, so although they're name-checking all of the, you know, classic Storybrooke characters, we're not going to see any of them. Yeah, they tell us that Zelina and Regina are doing one thing to get ready and... Emma and Hook are bringing the cake and David and Mary Margaret are whatevering. They have bubble wands. Apparently, baby Neil is really into them. 
I, you know, we never really got how Rumple feels about them naming their baby after his dead kid. That is weird, isn't it? Eh. Eh. So, so uh, even though it's not her birthday, it's Gideon's birthday, Rumple has got Belle a gift. Which he says is actually a gift for the whole family, and it's a scrapbook. A... Blank scrapbook yes a scrapbook for all of the adventures they're going to have here's the thing rumple and bell have a real up vibe going this episode yeah you pointed that out when we were watching it and yeah there's definitely lots of shades of up in this story starting here with the adventures will go on scrapbook and rumple does tell bell that now that things have settled down and everyone has their happy ending it's time for the two of them to go travel the world like he promised her they would. The worlds. Of course, the worlds. So we go from this birthday party happening at some point in the past to Rumple Weaver going down the streets of Sto- ugh, going down the streets of Seattle to find Alice, whose Hyperion Heights name is Tilly. Boy, am I not going to be using that. <laughs> we see that it's Halloween and there are a lot of kids running around in costumes. And Tilly is playing with a Rubik's Cube. A Rubik's Cube that has like nine-tenths of the squares scraped off so it's almost completely black. Mm. And she's wearing a very intricate white rabbit mask. It's really freaky. It's some eyes wide shut crap. I love it. It's a great mask. It has a monocle. It has a steampunk monocle. Uh, Yeah, it's a great mask. It definitely would be the thing to wear to a really, really classy sex party. So, Rumpel has got a sandwich from his favorite sandwich shop, but they gave him orange marmalade instead of his Reuben. Which, of course, they didn't because nobody accidentally makes you a jelly sandwich. Yeah, I was about to say, an orange marmalade sandwich sounds super disgusting, but... Well, it's just a jelly sandwich. Orange marmalade sounds disgusting. I would eat it. I think it, dep- it I think it totally depends on what kind of bread they used. Now, the actress they have playing Alice looks enough like Liv Moore to throw me every time I see her. Oh, really? I didn't see that. I can see it now that you say it, but that was not a thing that was affecting me. I mean, if only because she's generic, attractive, blonde, early 30s-ish. Well, sure. In that way. She tells... A little heavy with the eyeliner. Yes, definitely. She tells Rumple that Victoria Belfry is bad news. She's a wicked woman. And Alice knows this because her ex-girlfriend worked for her. Hey, look, once upon a time found a way to casually work queer people into their narrative without it being like a 90s very special episode. Yeah, okay, but on the other hand, look... Once upon a time, found a way to have gay representation without actually showing a gay relationship. Yet. Yes, I have heard that they actually do have better gay representation later in this season. I am looking forward to that. It would be hard to have worse. (laughs) Right. No offense to, uh, no offense to Ruby Dorothy shippers. I just, it Well, no, I mean, I'm sure they would agree that that was not... Built up to enough slash at all or followed up on enough like slash at all it's the year of our lord 2019 you don't get credit for one throwaway episode or the year of our lord 2017 yeah when it was made but 
for serious, like, that episode felt so much like one of those 90s episodes where a special guest star played by Matthew Perry shows up to teach everyone that being gay is okay, but we're never going to see Cousin Matthew ever again. Sorry, you distracted me because I saw that Matthew Perry played a creepy 90s boyfriend, a creepy violent 90s boyfriend in the movie She's Out of Control, which I was previously unaware of, but I saw a clip from it yesterday. Oof. Really bumped me. Uh, I was thinking about that episode of, I don't remember what sitcom it was, but he played uh, a one-shot boyfriend who dies because he is drunk driving. Oh, yeah. I think that was on uh, Growing Pains. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. So Weaver gives Alice a bit of a hard time for playing with a Rubik's Cube that, you know, doesn't work. It's an unsolvable puzzle. He asks her, what's the point of an unsolvable puzzle? And she asks him, what's the point of a solvable one? Ooh, deep. And then they have a moment where he gives her a hard time for wearing a mask. And she talks about how they all wear masks, man. Okay, I do kind of love this because... She's like, we all wear masks, and he rolls his eyes, and she's like, no, look, it's Halloween. Everyone's wearing masks. But then she doubles down and is like... But seriously. You're wearing a mask right now. You know, I love this Alice. Yeah, and, you know, if she had just done the we're all we-, we all wear masks thing, I would have been like, eh. But the fact that she did the... The fact that she took it back and then went ahead and did it anyway made it work for me. Yes, definitely. It wouldn't have worked if she was just doing it, but the act of taking it back and then doubling down really made it work. Right, subverting and then, in fact, reinforcing expectations. Subverting and then double subverting? Subverting the subversion? Yes. Yes. Over in Victoria's Tower... Jacinda has arrived with Lucy's Halloween costume and also her Halloween pumpkin, which, by the way, is amateur hour. You don't trick-or-treat with that little pumpkin. That doesn't hold shit. You need a pillowcase. See, I didn't have a pillowcase. I used to have bags, but yet no one has a pumpkin. You can't... you can't do it with a pumpkin. Okay, so ideally what you want to do is have your parents who are taking you wait down on the street with a pillowcase and then you go up to the house with a pumpkin, okay? And then they put the candy in the pumpkin and then you go down and you dump it in the pillowcase your parents are carrying for you. Ah, smart. Yeah. Plus then people feel like you haven't gotten a lot of candy and they give you a little more. Hmm. Life hacks, people. Life hacks to any children who are listening to our podcast, which if you are a child listening to our podcast, you probably shouldn't. We swear a lot and talk about eyes wide shut sex parties, so... I mean, we marked the episode explicit. I don't know what else we could do. So she... uh, So Jacinda is bringing uh, Lucy's costume up because Ms. Belfry is making Lucy go trick-or-treating with Drusilla for some reason. Drusilla, who is Ivy. Ivy, yes. Who is the... Wicked stepsister. The non-dead wicked stepsister. Although apparently the other one was the innocent stepsister. Yeah. It's kind of funny because this episode still does the whole maybe the stepdaughters aren't evil, which does work because, again, abuse doesn't work like that. Yeah. I And also, Once Upon a Time doesn't work like that. Once Upon a Time really doesn't let anyone be evil. It goes back and tries to redeem everyone, which is a thing I appreciate, even if I'm not appreciating the particular redemption arc. Well, I mean, Peter Pan. Okay, except Peter Pan. Everyone, everyone could be redeemed except Peter Pan and Cruella de Vil. 
Yeah, I was gonna say everyone who's not a uh, most of the villains who have redemptive arcs aren't dudes. I mean, the the, the big bads who are dudes are Peter Pan, uh, Hades, Hades. Is that it? I mean, we might argue about whether or not the redemption happens, but the show sure thinks it redeemed Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, I actually want to amend that to their justifications for being evil aren't even that good. Like, yes, the female villains are more likely to get redemption arcs, but female villains are also more likely to get arcs that actually explain why they're evil. Like, Peter Pan refused to grow up, which, fine, that's an act accurate thing but it's not a sympathetic backstory and hades's thing never made any sense i think this show is interested in giving humanity to its female characters in a way that most shows neglect and so sometimes we don't get as many interesting guys but i think that's one of the things that makes the show interesting oh i'm not complaining about that i'm just saying like once upon a time has some sucky ass male villains yeah I mean, Jafar was kind of neat, I guess, for the 10 seconds he was in the show. We didn't really get enough of Jafar. I would have been into more of a Jafar redemption. And I know, I know, I should just watch Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, but... Ooh, ooh, and Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde was good. Yes! Oh. Actually, Once Upon a Time's had some pretty solid male villains. I Which mean... is great, because you know who didn't get a redemption? Who? Dr. Jekyll. God, good. I like to think that, uh... Oh, God, and King Arthur. I forgot about King Arthur. Jeez, he had a redemptive arc in hell, which... No, don't don't raspberry that. King Arthur, who was so obsessed with being a king, embodied Satan from Paradise Lost. He would rather rule in hell. And that's, his redemp and that's where he finds his redemption. That's a cool story. By making hell a better place. Yeah. Well, assuming that, you know, Corella DeVille doesn't kick his ass 15 seconds into him starting to roll hell well yeah but i would watch once upon a time in hell by the way it's weird because we were very down on that season but i would totally watch once upon a time in hell she'd start hooking up with mr hyde it would be great yeah well i mean i think we want to watch once upon a time in hell because we just want to watch all the characters we like who died in once upon a time yeah but not hades because he was annoying oh god hades was the worst but he's gone now he's gonna be the big bad in the third descendants movie apparently I'm okay with that, because it's not tainted by either the poor portrayal in Once Upon a Time or James Woods. It's a shame, because he's such a great Disney villain, and yet when I hear his voice, I'm just like, oh, you're a creep. Yeah, because he's amazing as Hades. Like, he is, gonna put this out there, he's an amazing actor, but he's a terrible person to the degree that you can't really enjoy any of his stuff. Yep. Remember when he was trying to push Alita Battle Angel to destroy the SJW Captain Marvel movie? Yes, I remember that. And then, like, uh, I, I feel bad for the Alita Battle Angel people. Yeah, it wasn't their fault. But uh, I will forever associate that movie with, you know, James Woods being an asshole, so. Just like how, uh, just like how whiny fanboys ruined the original Ghostbusters for me. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a shame because that movie is really, uh, it, it actually genuinely is amazingly well written. You could take it apart and study it in a screenwriting class. I'm sure many do. Also, that kind of killed the uh, new Ghostbusters movie for me. I have no interest in the new Ghostbusters movie because of that. 
Because this is one for the real fans, which, ugh. Okay, I have Ghostbusters 1 and 2 memorized. If I'm not a real fan, I don't know what that means. I do know what that means. I mean, honestly, the Ghostbusters property I enjoyed most as a child was Extreme Ghostbusters. Not the real Ghostbusters? No, I never watched the real Ghostbusters. I watched Extreme Ghostbusters. You're such a rebel. You always have to be, like, the weird property. It's not that weird, although it is. Hey, they had a female Ghostbuster, although she had a smaller uh, proton pack. Yeah. Which isn't great, but... So, to get back to what actually happened in that scene, Jacinda is dropping off Lucy's Halloween costume with Ivy because Mrs. Belfry has decreed that Ivy is going to take Lucy trick-or-treating so the maximum amount of people will be unhappy. Right? Jacinda's like, well, let me take her trick-or-treating. And Ivy's like, nope, Victoria does not want that, and I don't want to upset Victoria, even though I definitely, definitely don't want to go trick-or-treating with a child. Yeah. So Jacinda's like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Also, Ivy does what is legitimately a pretty good slam. Oh, yes. As soon as as soon as soon Jacinda gets off the elevator in the lobby, Ivy calls security and says and asks for someone to come up because they have a trash problem. So there, she says, can you please send someone from maintenance up? Uh, we've got a trash problem on the whatever floor. Which, you know, someone's going to show up for maintenance. They don't know that you're being sarcastic, Ivy. Ivy doesn't care. Ivy, by the way, we should say, is being portrayed as, like, a bored socialite. In the first episode, she was the put-upon Emily Blunt assistant from Devil Wears Prada. But in the last couple of episodes, she's been more, like, always on her phone, thinking about parties. She's a millennial, don't you know? You know, I didn't want to use that word because you're right, that is what they're doing, and that bugs me, but yeah, may as well say it, that's what they're doing. I mean, she is in her, what, late 20s, early 30s? Yeah. Millennial. (laughs) Downstairs, we see Victoria get in her car and get startled when Tilly and her white rabbit sex mask jumps out at her from the back seat. And Tilly's like, so, do you think it's better to be feared or loved? And Victoria's like, what the (laughs) fuck are you doing in my car? And Tilly's like, ah, feared. Gotcha. Also, Tilly's like, hey, um, you know how you cursed us all to be stuck here in Hyperion Heights? What's the story with that? She also says, let's see what's under your mask and reaches to rip off Victoria's face. <laughs> and Victoria just maces her. Yes. And before she does that, she says, who are you? Because she's all of the characters from Wonderland. Yes. By the way. Alice can take Mace like a fucking champ. She really can, but she does run out of the car. And Victoria pulls out the backpack that she left behind so she can investigate this person jumping out of the backseat of her car. So Victoria calls Weaver to her office because she's like, hey, so you're sort of my hired gun on the police. And he's like, wait, I thought we had a scene like a couple episodes ago establishing that I'm not really. And she's like, shut up. There was a vagrant in my car and I want you to, you know, track her down and destroy her. And Weaver's like, why is this my problem? And she pulls out a business card that was inside of the backpack that has Weaver's card in it. So it is his problem. Yeah, she says... This literally has your name all over it. Because, you know, his name's on the card. And, uh. 
She also pulls out a prescription bottle, which is filled with pills. Yeah. Too many pills for the size of the prescription bottle that she pulls out. Also, the pill bottle has no label. Any label that had has originally been on that prescription bottle has been scraped off. And not just scraped off, like scrubbed clean off. It looks like there was no label ever applied to that bottle. And yet, Victoria says that she called Tilly's doctor. Mm. The one doctor in Hyperion Heights. I'm just saying, how did she get that information if the label was scraped off the pill bottle? But she called Tilly's doctor, and apparently if she doesn't take her drugs, she becomes confused and dangerous, and she's not taking them because, as I said, this bottle is jam-packed. Hmm. So Weaver's like, you know, like, I help you when it suits me, but generally I don't have to do anything you say, and my business with my informants is my business. And I don't like to drug and lock them up, so, you know. And Victoria's like, well, I'm going to stop giving you information unless, you know, you fucking help me. I want you to be the man I think you can be. Oh, they are leaning on this so heavy because this is a Beauty and the Beast episode, so it's all about Weaver being the man beneath the beast or whatever. Okay, this was supposed to be a soft reboot for Once Upon a Time, right? Like, this would be the place you would jump in if you hadn't been watching Once Upon a Time up to this point? I don't think that was what it was intended to be. That's just what happened because they lost most of the cast. Because, yeah, there's nothing to indicate that Weaver was the Beast in addition to being Rumpelstiltskin. I think they should have gone full... If they were going to go soft reboot, they should have gone full soft reboot. I love me some Robert Carlyle, but he's not really... Like, he's a he's a great actor, but he's not really adding much to the cast here. I know, but he and Lana Perea saved the show in its early seasons. The show would not have worked without the two of them. True. So I can see how you would feel like you wanted to have him. And the thing is, Weaver is a good character. Oh, really? I'm... I'm not invested in anything he's doing at this point. So maybe that I, so I think that's the bulk of my problem. See, I like Weaver. It's just his ties to Rumpelstiltskin make him too kind of bogged down in continuity. So you would like if this corrupt cop character was just an entirely different fairy tale character? Yeah. Hell, bring back the Sheriff of Nottingham. He was fun. That would be great. Oh, man. Man. Ugh. Anyway, Victoria tells Weaver that she has some tapes of him that she's going to blackmail him with if he doesn't keep being her man in the police department. So I guess that's how that's going to work out. So tapes of him doing what? I know, right? I assumed she meant tapes of him taking payoffs, but it can't be that because that implicates her too. I guess it would probably, well, he's tortured a lot of people. We know that so far. It's true. It's true. So, meanwhile, Henry is at Ronnie's and she gives him a drink that she's calling the Poisoned Apple. Also, she's wearing a Marilyn Monroe costume. It's pretty great. Okay, I adore Lana Perea and by extension Ronnie, but this is the worst drink I've ever heard of. When she gives him the recipe of what's in a Poisoned Apple... It has dry ice. Uh, can't you not drink dry ice? You should not drink dry ice. It has apple-flavored schnapps and dry ice. 
And that is it. That's the whole drink. That sounds disgusting. Yeah, Henry is not a fan. He says that it could use a dash of cinnamon, which... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, he's still a charming. Which, by the way, um, an actual drink that is an actual drink, if you want to do something like this, that is great, is uh, an apple cider with a shot of cinnamon whiskey. Yeah. Used to be, uh, well, that used to be our thing when we were... Recording? Yeah. Yeah. It is our signature once upon a time drink, and it is also called the poisoned apple. It's a much better drink. It's delicious. We should get some cider. That should be our signature drink again. Yeah. 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 Just some behind the scenes in the podcast stuff here. We're going to Seattle next weekend for, for our own thing. We should bring some apple cider and cinnamon whiskey with us and record an episode while we're up there. Sounds like a plan. We'll actually be in Seattle, but not Hyperion Heights because it's not a real place. We could claim it's Hyperion Heights. Who's going to call us on it? It's not a real place. It's true. It's true. All right. All right. Next week's episode will be coming to you from Hyperion Heights. That's where we're going to be recording from. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be our Hyperion Heights personalities. Which are exactly like these personalities? Yeah. Okay, great. We have different confusing names, though. Names that in no way tie to our original characters. So, Ronnie's like, why are you looking so bummed? Last time I saw you, you were all smiles and ice cream with Lucy and Jacinda. And he's like, and Henry's like, well, I kind of took a shortcut back to my apartment and I ran across my wife and daughter's graves. And she's like, oh. Yep. That's a bummer. That is, in fact, a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. So she goes around the bar and she's like, hey, look, I get it. We all have our shit, but sometimes you need to move on from your shit. For a second, I was like, oh my God, are we going to get Ronnie's curse backstory? But we don't. She just tells him that, you know, you have to, you have to respect that you were once in love and then move on and be in love again, which is fine. That's fine advice. She's basically giving him the inverse of Regina's backstory. It's true. Yeah. She's telling him to let it go foreshadowing for later in this episode so she's like look just go find jacinda go find lucy go trick-or-treating have some fun like just because you're living life doesn't mean you're disrespecting your wife and daughter like they wouldn't want you to be sad forever probably i don't know them but (laughs) presumably the people you loved were decent and would want you to feel love yeah and Becoming part of a new family doesn't mean leaving your old family behind. Yes. Which does seem sort of like the soft line for the reboot season in general. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Because you know what they're definitely not doing? Leaving the old family behind. Speaking of, we go from that to Weaver and... We go from there to Weaver and Hook walking along the waterfront And Weaver is concerned because Victoria is acting like she is afraid of something. And people who are afraid lash out and do dumb things. Colin O'Donoghue must have been so happy that they just let him get away with wearing a glove this season. Instead of a a full prosthetic hand? Yeah, probably. Or, you know, the hook. Yeah. So, speaking of telling people to get over shit... 
Rumple's like, hey, look, I know you've been investigating that missing little girl that was your first case or whatever, but I don't give a shit about your backstory. You keep letting it interfere with our work. I'm not here for that. You want to investigate that? Do it on your own damn time. Which I guess would be time when he's not working as a police officer because his police officer time is spent doing underhanded shit with Rumpel. Well, okay, this is a cold case, so he really shouldn't be doing it on police time, I think. I think once it's a cold case, that he shouldn't be working on it anymore. He should be working on cases that he could theoretically actually solve. Mm. Mm. So, back in... It's not even really fairy tale land, this episode. This episode, it's like Thomas Kincaid painting land. Yes, back in a different realm. Yes, we see Rumple and Belle and a 10-year-old child who is Gideon because 10 years have passed. And another way you know 10 years have passed is that Belle has a single gray streak in her hair. Like she's motherfucking rogue or something. Yeah, I was about to say the, re- the way you can tell time has passed is because Belle has become rogue. And she exposits to us that this bridge in this Thomas Kincaid painting that they're visiting is older than time. And what is time? Honestly... There's a lot of Belle and Rumple asking what time is in this episode. Yes. And Belle's like, for for countless years, for untold years, people have been throwing their crap in the river in exchange for wishes, and that crap is never seen again. So their whole new thing is getting rid of the Dark One Dagger, because Rumple briefly mentioned during the getting ready for the party scene that he hasn't had cause to use it and he wants to give up his dark oneness blah 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 but without dying well it's especially well now he does want to die because not right this second but bell is aging and he is not so as we can tell by the one streak of white in her hair exactly so he wants to be able to live a life alongside her so he is going to just throw his dagger into the river and that will be that the end presumably end of episode on to the next episode also does hair go gray like that no no that's not the way hair goes gray like i've been getting gray hair since high school and they tend to be disparate yeah you have like a single gray hair and throughout your your throughout your hairs yeah i've been rocking basically dozens since high school but just dispersed throughout your head yeah i i have yes i have them too you just can't tell because I dye my hair, but not because of the gray hair. I've been dyeing my hair since I was 14. Mm. I did for a while when I was 14, and then I stopped at some point. Yeah. I mean, I dye my hair because I like to try out different colors, not because I care about gray. Mm. So, Rumple throws his knife in the river, and it immediately appears back in his pocket because dark one. Yep. Also, yep. I would be keeping more of an eye on Gideon if they're... He's playing near the riverbanks of the river that takes things away forever. You know, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Especially considering their past. They should definitely be keeping a stronger eye on Gideon. It's fine. He's fine. Also, you know, you throw your dagger in the river and you hope it just disappears. That's the dagger that allows whoever has it to have control over you. I'd be a little more certain about what I was doing before I did it. I do like when he's like, I can't even remember what the last thing I used this dagger for was. What was it? Uh, I guess it wasn't killing his mom. I guess he stabbed her with the the fairy wand. Because I was about to say, I feel like you would remember stabbing your mom with that. (laughs) But 
So they throw it in the river, but it doesn't work because, you know, magic. And Rumpel's like, why? And Bill's like, whatever, look, we'll keep looking. Our whole thing is that I like to explore, and I'm actually doing that thing that Bill didn't do in the Disney movie where, you know, I'm, I'm finding adventures in the Great Wide somewhere. But they're adventures with my omnipotent magic husband who can't be killed. So I'm getting the fun parts of adventures, but also it's like glamping. Yeah. Yeah, I would want to stay omnipotent while I was doing dangerous adventures and then give it up when I was done. Yeah. Like, she gets all of the fun of the adventure. It's it's like going on a... On a roller coaster. You get the adrenaline rush, but you don't think you're going to die, usually. Yes. Uh, yeah. Ugh. I love roller coasters, though. So back in Hyperion Heights, Ivy is taking Lucy trick-or-treating, except that she is not looking up from her phone. Also, Lucy is wearing a skeleton outfit and is complaining because she wanted Ivy to paint her face. Apparently, her mother does that for her every year, but Ivy wouldn't. So instead, Lucy has a paper bag with a skeleton face drawn on it on her head. I actually really like it. Also, she's kind of matching with Ivy's very cute checkerboard skirt. It's houndstooth. Mm -hmm. I do really like Ivy's outfit. Yeah, yeah. She's wearing a black and white houndstooth skirt. And a cute little and a cute little leather jacket. It's it's nice. She t- so Ivy tells her that you know, look, I'd rather not be here. There's a very very fancy party I'd rather be at. And Lucy totally calls her out and is like, um, I heard you complaining that you didn't get an invite to that party. So I know you don't have anything better to do than take me trick or treating. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Also, I she does kind of ditch the uh, like she still hold she takes off the uh paper bag to talk but i feel like she should just ditch it people get the skeleton thing without yeah she doesn't need the bag it's fine lucy goes to the first house while ivy stands back in the courtyard and lucy chants to herself please be an apollo bar please be an apollo bar and then doesn't say like trick-or-treat or anything a woman just opens the door and hands her a box of milk duds and leaves which is weird that's not how trick-or-treating works. Also, it's a full-ass box of milk duds. and Yeah, right? Well, this must be the rich part of Seattle. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like that Bob's Burgers episode where they uh, go to King's Head Island to, to trick-or-treat. Yeah, full bars. Full bars. She looks disappointed to get a box full of milk duds. I would have been thrilled if I got a full box of milk duds when I was trick-or-treating. Right? Um, but, uh, but another little girl comes up to go trick-or-treating right behind her. A little girl wearing an Elsa outfit, <laughs> which is nice. And Lucy asks her if she wants her milk duds in exchange for a favor. And the next thing we see is the Elsa girl still wearing her Elsa costume, but also wearing the paper bag on her head, come up to Ivy to distract her. Presumably while Lucy makes a getaway. Wow, so Lucy got like a, what, five second advantage there? I know, I feel like she didn't need to do that at all. I feel like she could have just taken off at that point. Ivy was not paying close attention. So. The next scene is Weaver meeting Alice at the Troll Bridge. Mm -hmm. And I have my MVP extra. Who's your MVP extra? My MVP extra is the person who walks by in the background Wearing an Alice in Wonderland costume. Ugh, bit on the nose there, eh? But it's so, it happens so fast and it's so in the background. It's, 
I, I feel like it happens far enough in the background to be subtle and funny. Yes. So, Weaver finds Alice at the Troll Bridge, where she has solved the Rubik's Cube. And Rumpel looks at it, and there are, are enough colored squares there so that, you know... You could see it's not been solved. And he's like, I don't think you know how this puzzle's supposed to work. And she's like, I don't think you know how your face is supposed to work. She's like, you just think you don't know it because you're not back far enough looking at the full story. We all have stories, Weaver. This is basically how she is. Yeah. And he's like, look, you assaulted a really, really rich woman. Did you see something? Was there something behind that? Or are you just, you know, Drusilla? And she says, I see everything. I'm 10 feet tall. And he's like, okay, Drusilla. Like, you're, you're just standing really high up. Also, the troll bridge, like, it's a it's a stone troll, but someone's painted the eye white. It's very distracting for me. I'm much more distracted by the Welcome to Hyperion Heights graffiti in the background because somebody has decided to tag a wall with the phrase Welcome to Hyperion Heights. Civic pride. A very specific kind of civic pride. Yes. Rumple asks about taking her pills, which she has not done, and she says that she doesn't need the pills. Victoria just gives them to her so that she'll forget. Also, it's suspicious that the richest, most powerful woman in this neighborhood is very invested in getting this girl to take this particular set of drugs. Okay, normally I might say that, but she did literally hide out in her backseat and assault her, so... Yeah. So... This kind of goes back to, like, medication is a good thing. Mental health is just like regular health. If you need pills for your body, you take pills for your body. You need pills for your brain. You do need pills for your brain. Pills don't blind you and make you someone completely different. It's just that this is a fantasy character and these pills do suppress her true self and... It's the same thing that we went through with Emma in the last Dark Curse last season. It's just, it's not a great trope. Like, it's not a great trope, and they're not exactly doing it, but it's close enough so it's uncomfortable. I mean, every time medication is used as a stand-in for something that makes you something other than yourself, and every time the answer is the image of throwing out your medication, it reinforces a bad image, regardless of whether or not the idea is actually that she has a mental health issue. Hmm. But she does tell Rumpel that she's going to show him the whole picture. So that's what they're going to do. So we cut back to some other realm where uh, where Belle has more old age makeup, sort of. She's got more gray in her hair. Also, she's wearing a giant ass wig. It's not always clear when the characters are wearing wigs, but this is a real obvious one. Well, it needs to be a giant-ass wig for all of those gray streaks they put in it. Mm. So Gideon walks into the room, and he has been accepted to Magic College? Yes, Magic College. And this is 18-year-old Gideon, played by the same actor who was playing adult Gideon last season. Except now he's wearing all white robes instead of all black robes. Jeez, this is like charmed levels of symbolism here. Yep. Also, he's playing the same character at 18, he was 28 the last time he was this actor. Well, the same actor's going to be playing him at 40 in a few minutes, so whatever. Whatever. What is time? So, which 
is also what Rumpel's asking because he's going all sunrise, sunset, easily go the years. He used to be a baby and now he's not. Should we have spent more time paying attention to him? And Belle's like, we brought him on our adventures. That's the maximum amount of attention you can pay to a child. Yeah, yeah. Rumpel's like... Maybe I should have been less invested in my quest and more invested in raising him. And Belle's like, that. we, we did raise him. That's how we raised him. It's yeah. fine. It is what it is. He doesn't actively, he isn't actively homicidal towards us. He got into a good magic college, apparently. Like, we did a fairly decent job on the whole parenting thing, all things considered. And especially by the standards set by this show. Yes. Hell, by the standards set by this couple. Yeah. Also, Belle has found a solution to the Dark Ones wanting to be a mortal who can die thing. Yes. Apparently we're going full Narnia here and they're going to the end of the world, but as in where the world stops, not as in the place where the world is destroyed. Yes, the edge of the realms. When the Dark One finds eternal love and the sun sets on the brightest day, then the Dark One will be able to give up his Dark Oneness. Neat. Yep. And Rumpel, of course, says that this is at the edge of realms and that that's where they have to go next. But but, time is more wibbly-wobbly there than it's been anywhere else, so... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, once upon a time. If you say so. So we cut back to Seattle, where Jacinda is working at Mr. Cluck's, and there's a family that's dressed like the Incredibles, which is very cute. It's adorable. Oh my god, I love it. Although, this is such a minor thing. But are you, are, wait, wait, I think I know what you're going to complain about. Can I guess before you say it? Yes. Okay. So the costumes, Mr. Incredible's costume includes a muscle suit, like a, a, a like a foam, foam, yeah, like a foam muscle suit underneath it. And so does Dash's, even though Dash shouldn't have fake muscles. So close. But yes, that, but also... Mr. Incredible is not super ripped. That's true. Well, this could be Mr. Incredible. Well, no, it's, it can't be old Mr. Incredible because they're wearing the new Incredibles outfits. Yeah, if anything, he should have a foam dad bod. Foam dad bod! But that always bothered me about superhero costumes that they sell in stores, that they always have the fake musculature. Like, no, just have a superhero costume i feel like it almost has to have the fake musculature because spandex actually pushes down your body it constricts your body so it makes you look less muscled than you are well it doesn't have to be spandex it could just be whatever weird halloween store outfit costumes are made out of just yeah that's true make it like a regular shirt but with a superhero logo on it yeah jacinda gives them their chicken with scary sauce because it's halloween and fright fries yes but then henry comes in and he asks her a question about the scary sauce so the scary sauce is it like exorcist level scary or is it more like gremlins level scary exorcist level oh good because i can't handle gremlins henry are you actually gonna order something or did you just come here to tell me you were scared of puppets um this is a super adorable scene i think this is the most chemistry any two once upon a time characters have ever had with each other except for emma and regina i think this is the most chemistry that any two once upon a time characters who were obviously being presented as a couple have had for each other yeah it's so cute also um obviously it's not gremlin level scary henry that's a christmas movie not a halloween movie (laughs) 
God. And oh my God, just in, I, did you just come here to tell me you're scared of puppets? Could I love the two of them more? They're so great. I hope they do end up together. I know they are, because once upon a time, but I don't know. Apparently this season goes to some weird places. <laughs> but then Henry completely loses his cool and starts fumbling about trying to ask her out. And thank goodness that terrible fumbling is interrupted by Ivy coming looking for Lucy because she fucking lost Lucy. She didn't lose her, according to Ivy. Lucy ran away from her. And she wants to know where... She wants to know where Lucy might be. Well, and she thought Lucy might have come here to look for her mom. Jacinda can't take off work to go look for her daughter because she'll lose her job and that will be bad. So, but she also can't not look for her daughter because her daughter is freaking missing. So Henry says he will go find the daughter so that Jacinda can stay and keep working. And he gives Jacinda his number so that they can stay in constant textual contact while he searches for Lucy. So I do kind of love this because Ivy is being super unpleasant here. She tells Jacinda that I thought you were supposed to be working, not trolling for your next baby daddy, which... Um, not cool, Ivy. Yeah, that's that's pretty, pretty awful. But Jacinda actually has a really, really good comeback to that. She's like, um, he's just my friend. You know, friends, the things that people who aren't terrible human beings have. Yeah. She's like, I know you might not recognize what friends look like, but this is one of them. <laughs> so Henry goes off with Ivy to look for Lucy because Jacinda can't leave her job without losing it. Which is terrible. Capitalism is, is terrible. And in another part of Seattle, Weaver is in a car with Tilly slash Alice. He gives her the marmalade sandwich again, and this time she eats it. Which is a mistake because he crushed up all of her pills inside of it. Well, not she, okay. Well, she takes one bite and then she looks into it because, you know, it doesn't taste right because it's full of blue pills. Yeah, the pills which she says will make her small. Mm. I have to say, that's one of the only things that makes this plot line that makes me uncomfortable. It's one of the things that mitigates it and makes it less uncomfortable for me. I mean, if any fairy tale is about taking pills or not taking pills, it's Alice in Wonderland. So, yeah, these are the pills that make, make you, you small. small. The ones that Mama gives you don't do anything at all. So now there's basically a clock on what Alice has to show to Rumple because in a because soon the pills are going to kick in and she's going to forget what she has to tell him. Yes, the pills make her foggy. They make her unable to remember the past. She tells Rumple that he's a good man with a pure heart, so I think they're already working. God. <sighs> we get the we get the scene with Rumplestiltskin we've had with Belle a million times, you know. I know that there's a good man there. And I'm afraid, Tilly, there is no good man there. She's like, Jesus, take the wheel. Just kidding. It's me. I'm taking the wheel. And she swerves into traffic. Then when he's correcting the car, she just tuck and rolls out of it. Yeah. Yeah. She has no fear. I mean, the very first time we saw her, she was parkouring off a roof. So yeah, she can tuck and roll like a fucking champ. Yes, she can. Meanwhile, in some other realm. Thomas Kincaid land. Thomas Kincaid land. They have reached the place where the realms end. 
Except not really, because there's still a whole bunch of stuff beyond the horizon. But eh. it's it's just a painting. It's just a map painting. <laughs> it's the end of the Truman Show. Clonk. That's exactly what I was thinking of. So the problem, the problem, or maybe not a problem, maybe just the situation, is that time is, as you said earlier, wibbly wobbly here. So the sunset is going to take years and years and years. So. They're going to build a life here while they wait for the sun to set. Yes, it could take decades or centuries even. And spoiler alert, Rumple Bell does not look like she has that much time left. So it might take a while. He's going to use his magic to build a house. And Belle's like, no, we need to use our own two hands. Whatever, Belle. Okay. So. I guess you have eternity, so you need something to keep you busy. Well, one of you has eternity. <laughs> Fair. Although, you'd think that time being wibbly-wobbly here would mean that Belle would stop aging, but... It does not mean that. They will explicitly say it doesn't mean that. I do really like, in the scene where they're building the house, Belle is wearing a domestic version of her old adventurer's outfit. Yeah, she is. She's wearing a Belle-themed pioneer outfit. So, apparently they made everything in this house, which I have some questions about. Is your question, how did they hew that stone? For the fireplace? Also, you know, smelt the metal for the many metal objects in this house. You know, the chandelier, for example. The sconces. Yeah. Whatever. It's fine. They built a little cottage. And Rumpel even built a special box to hold his dagger. There's a rose garden for him and a and a reading nook for her. So it's domestic bliss or whatever. Boy, how'd they make all that glass that... I, th- I I just think when Belle went to sleep, Rumble used at least a little magic to fudge things some. That's probably true. But as I said, it is domestic bliss, and this is this montage is what especially reminds me of Up. Oh yeah, because Belle is getting older, she's having more trouble getting around. And this montage of domesticity is very centered on this house that they built together. Mm-hmm. They see Gideon off as he's going to seek his fortune. I guess he probably graduated magic college. Yes. They somehow made a Victrola that plays the Beauty and the Beast theme so they can dance around in Belle's reading nook. Yeah, they managed to make a record, so... Yeah, they pressed a record. I'm not trying to be an asshole here. It just comes naturally. There's so much in this... It's like when people talk about getting back to nature and it's like, you know all of the things you picture when you think about... Just moving to a little farm in the little of, in the middle of nowhere, like there's this very romanticized idea of how to get and maintain that life that's just straight up not realistic. Yes, that is an accurate statement. We get a scene that's similar to the scene where Belle was opening the curtains way back when she was a prisoner of rumples and then she lets the light in but then she falls and he runs and he catches her and that's when she first knew she loved him except now it's because she's dying yes because she is 11 billion years old she is dying of too much old age makeup mm-hmm. and as she dies well as I she mean, she's not dying yet dying. Now, but as she falls we see the scrapbook that rumple gave her on the table and it's about four times as thick now as it was when he gave it to her so we know that they filled it with memories which is a really nice touch and again subtle because it's just off in the corner and it goes so quickly that is cute good on them 
so Belle is dying from, you know, too, too much old age makeup. If I'm 40 years old. I've lived a full life. Meanwhile, back in Seattle, Henry pulls aside a woman who's dressed like Disney classic Snow White and asks her if I, she's seen Lucy. Except she's dressed like sexy Snow White. Yes, she is wearing a sexy Snow White costume, so that's an Oedipal nightmare. Right? Yeah, Henry asks her if she's seen Lucy, but she has not, so he leaves her alone with her two too high heels and continues on. He comes across Ivy, who's super sad because she's going to be in so much trouble, y'all. So much trouble. She has enough time to be an asshole. She's like, oh, you're here. I didn't remember. I didn't remember texting a Swift. And he's like, we both left at the same time to look for Lucy. You were there. She calls him a self-published writer. And he's like, that book was published by an actual publisher. It just didn't sell well. He also had... I, I do love how indignant he is when she when she calls him a self-published author. Yeah. Ivy complains that she doesn't have any friends because she's always doing Victoria's dirty work. And Henry asks why she keeps doing all of her dirty work. And she says it's because she doesn't have any friends. And you know what, Ivy? I think I see the basis of your problem. <laughs> it's a vicious circle. Cycle. Circle? Cycle. Both are correct. Mm. So... Henry's like, look, I can relate. After my wife and daughter horribly burned to death, the only human contact I had was with my Swift drivers. Yeah, with my Swift passengers. And Ivy's like... And with ghosts. Yes. And Ivy's like, ghosts? Okay. No. And then he's like, metaphorical ghosts. My dead family, you cold-hearted woman. My dead family who burned to death in a burning fire of burning. And she kind of softens a little bit. She's like... Yeah, I, I get it. I get the loneliness. Also, my mom has my younger sis- my dead younger sister in a coffin in a tower somewhere, so I get the whole fucked up backstory thing. She and does not say that. She I want to point out, she very explicitly does not mention that she's a dead younger sister. She does ask Henry how you get past having all that baggage, and he says you just have to go out and do the scary thing. And Ivy becomes my favorite character, asking him if that's what he calls having sex with Jacinda. The scary thing. <laughs> god yeah i i am warming up to ivy throughout the course of this episode she's an awful person but she they're doing a good job having her be i think she's an awful person in a fun way and also her awfulness is explained but not justified in a way that i really appreciate yeah you understand why she's bad without being like it's okay that she's bad while they're having this conversation she finally looks at the list that jacinda texted to henry with the list of places lucy might have gone and is like oh it's here it's this haunted house lucy did nothing but talk about this haunted house all night long then why didn't you check there first <laughs> right meanwhile alice is leading rumple to a place that will help him remember yeah it will let him wake up but again she doesn't have much time because things are getting foggy for her he calls her Tilly, and for a second she forgets who Tilly is. She forgets her she forgets her Hyperion memories. She forgets what's going on. And she's like, you're so close to remembering who you are. And he's like, what? And she's like, look, look at this missing piece. And she holds up the fucking chipped cup. The fucking chipped cup. I <laughs> thought we were done with that cup. 
How many times have I thought we were done with that cup when we're never done with that cup? It's been shattered so many times. Okay, I know we talk about how this show works really well when it leans into horror tropes, but here's something where they really messed up. All right. This weird warehouse squatter's den that she leads him into could definitely have been that creepy horror, could definitely have had that creepy horror movie vibe, but it has these flickering fluorescent lights that the way the shot is framed are in the upper left-hand corner of the frame in a way that makes it look like there's something wrong with the screen, not like they're flickering lights. And uh. I found it very distracting, enough that I thought I had to bring it up, even though that's not the kind of thing I would normally mention. Her weird little hidey place actually reminded me a lot of Wally. Oh, wow, it really is. Or like or like an above-ground version of Ariel's uh, cove. Yeah. So... Meanwhile, Belle is dying, and Rumpel whips out his knife, and he's like, look, I can just make you young again, and then you won't be dying of whatever. And Belle's like, nah, hard pass. I'm good. And then Belle gives a long speechy speech. Yeah, I was, I was, we went a couple episodes, two episodes, two episodes without one of these long speechy speeches, and gotta say, did not miss them. It's, I guess, her swan song. Because I'm assuming she's not going to be in the show after this unless it's like a bit where she's meeting Rumple at the crossroads at the end. If that's what they end up doing here, I mean, I, I assume know. that's what they'll end up doing. But the important piece of information she has to impart in this very, very long speech that she gives is that when she read the prophecy, she understood immediately that what it meant was he would be able to get his humanity back when Belle died. But she purposefully withheld that information from him because he wouldn't accept that and he would try to find another answer forever and then they wouldn't get to settle down in their nice home and the adventure was you. Right? That's what that's y- what Ellie yeah. says? Yes. This is, was the real adventure the whole time. Yeah. The real adventure was the friends and loved ones we made along the way. I'm not 100% certain about what Ellie said because that movie fucking broke me so I could only watch it once. Yeah, I... God, I can't even get past the opening scene. Like, I've seen the whole movie, but I can't get past the opening. The opening just kills me. Just thinking about the opening, I'm getting teary again. Yeah. It's really good filmmaking, Pixar. God damn, that movie. I mean, the rest of the movie could have straight up sucked. No one will know, because the first ten minutes is all anyone remembers. God. Yeah, so then Belle, like... Oh, and that bit where he finds the journalist's wife left him at the end. Right. Okay, I'm getting kind of teary, too. Wow. Even talking about it in really vague terms will get you. It's way more dramatic than what's (laughs) happening right now in Once Upon a Time, which is that Belle is recounting their story about how he kidnapped her and then they fell in love. But only after he let her go. She does emphasize that. And she does emphasize multiple times that she came back to him multiple times that he had to let her go multiple times you know what this reminds me of and this is so sad that they did a better version of this already what's that this reminds me of when the evil queen put david and mary margaret under the joint heart sleeping curse thing oh and they had the flash with all of their romantic moments yeah because they're doing that again with over old bell's speech uh they're doing all of the iconic moments of their relationship over it it's i guess better than ronnie's speech because she gets to talk the whole way through there's not a bunch of really long awkward pauses and we are seeing genuinely moving moments and not like 
trying to figure out what's happening with other, and, other things and not trying to do a wrap-up of new people and still fit it into work with the speech but bell finally the speech having sapped the last of her life force dies just throwing this out here but bell is wearing these weird lace gloves that are not in character for bell Lacey. Lacey's trying to escape from her. Okay, that's way better than what I was going to say, which is that the scene focuses on her hands quite a bit, and they didn't want to do old age makeup on her hands. Oh, yeah, you don't think about it a lot, but that's something that people really avoid doing. Yeah, that's why they put her in Lacey gloves. So... The scene, the scene ends with a zoom in on the chipped cup on their... See what I'm talking about? Yeah. The scene ends with a zoom in on the chipped cup on their mantle so that we can cut directly from that to Alice shoving the chipped cup into Rumpel's face and being like, wake up, wake up from the curse. I do really love this because uh, Alice holds it up and she's like, you're supposed to remember. You said, if you don't remember, I'm allowed to shoot you. And she just unloads a gun into Rumpel. She grabs his gun from out of his holster and is like, you said that the cup would wake you up. And if the cup didn't wake you up, you wanted to be shot. And then she shoots him. <laughs> it's great. Because it's such a swerve for all of the characters involved. Well, we've just had this really touching scene with Rumpel with the love of his life. And then we cut to Alice being like, remember or die. <laughs> It's not remember or die, it's you didn't remember, so now I gotta shoot you. And it's not, I don't think it's supposed to be funny, but it was really funny. Well, okay, so, spoiler, this doesn't kill him. And I think that when Rumple, when the curse was coming, which obviously we haven't seen yet, but I think when the curse was coming and he told Alice that she would have to kill him, the reason he told her that is because he knew that he was still the Dark One and he wouldn't die, and that's what would wake him up. Mm. So, meanwhile, Belle has a grave, which is, it's a cross with a rose on it. Yeah, sure. That seems appropriate for Belle. Yeah. I don't know. I know crosses are, you know, because Christianity. And I'm like... She grew up in France. She's totally Christian. The France part of the Enchanted Forest, which, as we all know, is polytheistic. But, yeah. Rumpel and Gideon are standing at her grave talking about time and how time keeps moving. Time keeps... Time keeps slipping, slipping, slipping. And Gideon, as I said before, is played by the same actor, even though he's meant to be in his 40s now. Yeah, Bell, yeah, Bell went for, oh, yeah, he should be 50s even, maybe. Yeah. Because Bell was like, what, supposed to be late 20s when he was born? You know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again until the day I die. What is time? I'm going to age until I hit 18, and then I'm going to look like I'm, I'm in my 30s, but I'm going to look like I'm in my 30s for the rest of my life. That's how aging works, apparently. Rumple tells Gideon some more mythology about the dagger that we did not know before. Apparently there's a guardian of the dagger, and Rumple can pass the dagger on to the guardian, and then he'll not be the dark one anymore. Apparently that was a thing that he could always do. Because Gideon, Gideon's like, I know you want to stop bearing this dark one burden. I know you want to be with mom. Do you want me to just stab you? Because I can stab you. And Rumpel's like, no, no. Like, I saw what you were like when you were evil and it really sucked for everyone. I'll just figure out how to deal with this myself. Yeah. Which, fair. So, Rumpel says that he's going to have to portal to 
the time when the Guardian is. So that we don't have to worry about why so many years passed for Belle and not as many for Henry. Yeah. So is Belle still alive in the current timeline then? I don't know. Also, also, this means that Rumple can time travel, which we know he can't. Time travel was supposed to be an impossible thing. And I can hear, I can hear the show telling me that it's different because he's on the edge of realms. And so it's easier to travel to a different time from the edge of realms. But if that's the case, it wasn't that hard for them to get to the edge of realms. They just have to go there and then to where, whatever time they want to go to. Yeah, why didn't Zelina just fucking go to the edge of realms? Then she wouldn't have to deal with any of the weird baby abducting shit she had to do. Baby abducting, rumple mind draining, Regina heart stealing. I know it had a... I guess it's because it had the poetry of... David's courage stealing. Ugh. Rumple... So Rumple portals. Rumple portals into some fairy tale land right on top of a white rabbit. Yeah, he bamps right over a white rabbit and Alice runs into him. I really like this take on the Alice outfit. Yeah, it's great. It's it's Renfair Alice, essentially. Yeah, she's got this, like, bright blue bodice. Uh, she's got, like, this sort of grayish blue bodice with a royal blue skirt and a long white shirt underneath it so it like hints at the alice aesthetic without being i should have saved this for fashion corner but that's okay he bumps into alice and she's like what the fuck are you doing here and then henry whizzes by on his motorbike and i love how alice is just like this realm is so strange And then she tells Rumple that the prince is holding a ball to find his wife so that we can place everyone in time. She says she's he's looking for a bride if the shoe fits. And then she waggles her eyebrows at Rumple, Which that... implies that she knows more about what's happening. I think maybe that's just a dirty expression in whatever country this is. Okay, perhaps. Because, you know, there should be more weird expression stuff. Yes. And she's like... Are you, are you going to take your shot? Because She asks Rumpel if he's looking for a prince, and he says no. And I appreciate how judgment-free the question, are you looking for a prince, and the answer, no, I'm looking for something else, are. Yeah, hey, points to you uh, once upon a time for finally being able to, you know... Acknowledge that gay people exist without being weird about it. Yes. So, meanwhile, in Seattle, Rumpel is... Having one of those weird the Wolverine dream sequences. Oh, it was actually reminding me of the scene in Deadpool 2 when he's imagining Marina Baccarin. Yeah, which... Ugh. Well, he's imagining himself in this weird heaven-like state with Belle there with him. It just reminded me of... Did, did you see the Wolverine? No, I did not watch the Wolverine. The movie keeps on cutting to whenever Wolverine gets knocked unconscious. I think the Deadpool... Uh, two scenes might have been a reference to this but whenever wolverine gets knocked unconscious he wakes up in this like very brightly lit right uh white room in a bed with Jean gray and she's like do you want to go we can go now and he's like i think there's other stuff i need to do and she's like i'm not clear what my role is here like am i supposed to be shepherding you into death I, i don't get it but like i'm here when you need me to be here and then he wakes up and keeps doing stuff 
okay. I mean, yeah, that's basically exactly what this is, except with Belle instead of Jean Grey. Do you think the Deadpool scenes were a reference to that, or do you think that's just a really cliche action movie trope thing? I think it's just a cliche way to show death, especially once you've already gotten your motivation from a dead girl. Mm. Yeah. So Rumple wakes up, and it is not Belle above his bed, but Hook. Yeah, and who gives him the bullet he was shot with? Because that's what everyone wants. I'm sorry, I said that sarcastically. I would totally want that. Yes, I would definitely want that too. And Hook's like, you survived being shot 17 times in the sternum. You must be bloody immortal, mate. And Rumpel's like, what? And he's like, I was joking. That's not a joke. And then he says that Alice is back. And then he says that Tilly is there, but she's taken her meds and she's quiet as a dormouse now. Which is also not an expression. You know, you can she just... is all the Wonderland characters. You know you can just say words. They don't even have to mean anything. So, now, Rumple tells Hook to file the report saying that it was a masked robber, not Tilly, that he came out of nowhere, and that he fled on foot. Yeah, because Rumple does not want Tilly to get in trouble for shooting him. And Hook knows exactly what he's doing, but it's like, okay, if that's the way you want to play it, I'm totally cool with letting the girl who shot you go, because what do I care? Yeah, he's like... Maybe you're a good person after all. And Rumpel's like, shut up. And then Hook leaves. Yep. Yep. And Hook does go find Tilly and tell her, hey, guess what? You're not being charged because apparently a masked robber shot him. And she's like, no, I shot him. And Hook's like, he says a masked robber shot him. Go home and don't tell anyone else you shot him. And Alice is like, so I should go tell everyone I shot him? And Hook's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Alice talks about how she never wants to feel upside down again, how she'll keep taking her pills from now on. And they have this weird conversation where they're using chess as a metaphor for, like, he sees that she's playing chess by herself and he's like, you're playing yourself. And she's like, we're all only playing ourselves. Well, so he sits down to play with her and he moves the rook very uh, pointedly so that you can see the rook next to the knight. Cause you remember that was his thing with his daughter. Is Alice supposed to be his daughter? I think Alice is his daughter. Yes. I think Alice is Hook's daughter. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, Lucy shows up at Mr. Cluck's uh, as her mom's shift ends, so good timing there. Yes, well, Henry Henry brought her there, and... It's weird that we didn't see Henry finding her. I think we could all just assume she was okay, and we had to leave room for Belle's incredibly long death speech. Hmm. And I guess also so it can be a swerve when Henry's like, actually, it was Ivy who found her. And Ivy's like, yeah, I had enough of her for one night. I mean, Ivy didn't really find her. Ivy just, like... Told him which of the several locations she would actually be at. Yeah. And then Ivy's like, look, there's an hour left for trick-or-treating. You're gonna be a little late, but whatever, I'll cover for you. Go have fun. Yeah. And then, and even though she knows that... Yeah, even though she knows that Victoria's gonna be super pissed at her... She sends them on their way to go trick-or-treating. And also, she has, she brought with her a thing of face paint mm-hmm. so that they can paint Lucy's face, as is tradition in their family. It's very sweet. Henry, Henry offers to leave. He's like, this seems like a, a family thing. I, I can go. And and Jacinda's like, no, stay. Jacinda also asks him 
what was it you were going to ask me? And he's like, I was going to ask you to look at my blog post about the garden because he totally chickened out. He chickened out at the chicken restaurant. I do like that Jacinda calls him on it and she's like, is that really what you were going to ask? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, okay. Yeah, Henry's not ready to do the scary thing. Speaking of, uh, Victoria shows up at Rumpel's bedside and she's like, so you didn't do what I said. You just let the girl go. And Rumpel's like, she's back on her pills, whatever. God. Right? Calm down, lady. And she's like, you seem to be forgetting I have those tapes. And he's like, you seem to be forgetting that fuck you. I'm the dark one. He's like, actually, I remember quite clearly dearie and victoria's like i'm from a different realm i don't know that that's your thing i have no idea what you're talking about and he's like look i know something you'd rather not have other people find out and if you want to play hardball fine we'll play hardball but you can't fucking touch me and i can destroy you so remember if you're gonna bluff bluff with a good hand well that's not bluffing yeah then it's just winning yeah which she's not gonna do because this is once upon a time and they've not built in enough sympathy for this character so true so back at ronnie's bar ivy and henry are having a drink ivy's trying to work up the courage to go face her mother after what she did and henry's admitting that he couldn't do the scary thing and just admit that he likes jacinda and so the two of them are drinking together and Ivy toast to keeping things uncomplicated. And she definitely wants to get a piece of Henry. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been saying that she wanted a piece of him ever since she saw him stab all those guys back in fairytale land. Henry needs to not sleep with her because there's a lot of things you can come back from relationship wise, but sleeping with your sister is not. Yeah, it's not good. It, yeah. Yeah, they need to not have sex. Although the the actors do have chemistry, which is so weird because the show seemed to have so much trouble with finding actors that actually had chemistry. I mean, is Henry the new Lana Puria who just has chemistry with everyone? He might be. Oh, good for him. So that'll about do it for this episode. And I know I was kind of harsh on it going in, but I think this is a strong episode except for the beauty stuff. Yeah, it had two plots and one of them was very strong and one of them was not well honestly it really had three plots and two of them were strong and one of them was weak the rumple flashback stuff was weak the rumple stuff with alice was great and the henry and jacinda stuff i was here for yeah i'm way more invested in the two of them as a couple than i thought i would be <laughs> it's nice isn't it yeah it grew on me i'm, I'm great to get invested in this show i'm super into it now but yeah, I, I feel like I might have been a little harsh going in. I, I genuinely, going over it again, I think I, I genuinely enjoyed this episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to keep doing this show for another four months. Yeah. Well, for now we are. I know. Well, let's see, how, let's see where we go. Speaking of, next week's episode is called Greenbacks. And the Netflix description is, oh God, I've been avoiding saying her name because we haven't heard it on the show yet. So I don't know. So I'm not 100% sure how it's pronounced, but. Sabine? Let's go with Sabine until we hear it on the show. Sabine and Jacinda cook up a plan to keep their home when Victoria raises the rent. A troubled Tiana seeks help from a smooth-talking soothsayer. Sabine is Tiana's 
Hyperion Heights identity, yes. Yeah. Honest to God, I couldn't remember it because no one says it. Like, I think it got said maybe once. I looked it up on the Once Upon a Time wiki, well, very carefully avoiding any spoilers, and so I knew what the name was, but we have not heard a single person say it out loud yet. Which, really, Netflix. That's weird. Really, Once Upon a Time. It's, it's, sorry, which, really, Once Upon a Time? That's weird. And people say it all the goddamn time when it's Tiana. Yeah, it's bizarre. I guess it's because she's less of a character in the current day stuff. Well, I hope that this is indicating that that's not going to be the case because I love her. Oh yeah, I'd love to see more of her. So So I guess that does it for this week. Yeah, brief fashion corner. I really like their take on Alice. I feel like they've really been doing their standout work in the flashback stuff, which I guess is sort of par for the course. Yeah, the reason we retired Fashion Corner in the first place is because the first two episodes were kind of flashback light, and I was thinking we weren't going to get really great flashback costumes anymore. But I've been proven that wrong the last couple of episodes. And while it wasn't particularly... They weren't particularly great outfits, I did like the very subtle touch of having flashback Rumpelstiltskin's outfits being blue and yellow. Yes, you're right. We didn't bring that up, but that was a great touch. Yeah, he had a lot of yellow vests with blue shirts, and it, it was a very nice small touch. Because for once, he was in tune with Belle. Yeah. It's so weird. When you start seeing color theory stuff, you remember Jenny Nicholson's video about A Christmas Prince 2, right? I do! Like, you don't think about the amount of thought that gets put into every detail of a piece of media. Well, Tom and Lorenzo are these two bloggers who blog mainly about Project Runway, but they also talked about Mad Men when it was on, and they talked a lot about the color theory and the costumes in Mad Men, and it was very interesting. So, do you have any recommendations this week? Okay, I do, but it feels like it's cheating, because it feels like all of my recommendations have been things that are tangential at best to the actual plots of the episodes. Okay. Remember when I uh, offered Party Down for the episode that had them briefly work as cater waiters i do remember that well my recommendation for this episode is hocus pocus oh yeah the halloween stuff yeah definitely i guess that's more just a general if halloween's a theme watch hocus pocus i'm 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 down with that and and i don't think and i don't have anything myself as a recommendation so i guess our, our official recommendation this week is to watch hocus pocus all right and i guess that'll about do it all right Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you can head over to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, and Rosa. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook group. Search Welcome to Television on Facebook. Or we can be contacted at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or at ilovetvzines on Twitter. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybook. (laughs) 